Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. The fourth message in a seven-week series, and I want to talk to you today about practicing godly teaching. Um, Some of you, if you like poems, may have heard of Edgar Guest. He's written hundreds of poems. This is my personal favorite. This poem is entitled, Sermons We See, and it goes like this. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eyes of better pupil and more willing than the ear Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds, for to see good put in action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. For I might misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. When I see a dread, when I see a deed of kindness, I am eager to be kind. When a weaker brother stumbles and a strong man stays behind, just to see if he can help him, then the wish grows strong in me to become as big and thoughtful as I know that friends to be. And all travelers can witness that the best of gods today are not the ones who tell them but the ones who show the way. One good man teaches many, men believe what they behold. One deed of kindness noticed is worth forty that are told. Who stands with men of honor learns to hold his honor dear, for right living speaks a language which to everyone is clear. Though an able speaker charms me with his eloquence, I say, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe it's been a long time since you have, but that's what I want to talk to you about today. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 1, after telling Titus to appoint uh, elders that will confront false teaching, and he he will confront false teaching, now he talks about the positive, and that is practicing godly teaching. In chapter 2 verse 1, he says, but you, he's talking to Titus, but you, Titus, are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. And then jump on down to verse 7, and he says, Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach, so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. That particular part, verse 1 and 7 and 8, that part, Paul is directly speaking to Titus, and he's talking about sound teaching. Another word for that would be healthy teaching. Now, in order to practice sound teaching, in those three verses I just read, we learned something that I want to point out to you. Sound teaching, in order to practice sound teaching, you have to practice biblical fidelity. What does that mean? You have to be faithful to the Scriptures. You know, sound teaching always says, Scripture says, the Bible says. And sound teaching is always based on what God's Word says. Not not man's opinion, but God's Word. What does the Scripture say? That is the foundation for sound teaching. Practice biblical fidelity. 
And uh, that's what he says there in verse 1. You, Titus, are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. And sound teaching agrees with the Bible. A second thing, in order to practice sound teaching, we must model integrity. Look, if you will, there in verse 7. He says, make yourself an example of good works with integrity. Um, In other words, we have to not only uh, talk the talk, we have to walk the walk. We have to live out what we believe. If we believe the Bible is God's Word and it tells us to, to live a certain way, then we follow that. We, we, we are faithful to the Scriptures and we model integrity. So sound teaching practices biblical fidelity and it models integrity. A third characteristic of sound teaching is it treats others with dignity. Look, if you will, in verse 7. He says... Um, You know, make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Dignity in your teaching. You know, we are to treat others with dignity. In a world now that is is being uh, full of propaganda about critical theories where some people are superior and others are inferior, we have to go back to God's Word. In the beginning, God. Okay, He created the heavens and the earth, and God created man. Uh, male and female, He created them, and He made them what? In His own image. All of us as people are made in the image of God, and therefore we ought to be you know, handled with dignity and with respect. And so that is true of every person because they have been created by God. So sound teaching treats others with dignity. Now that agrees with everything I've just said because the greatest commandment is what? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and a second one's like it, to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So biblical teaching models integrity and it treats others with dignity. A fourth and final thing when it comes to practicing sound teaching, it has to pass the test of scrutiny. He has to pass the test of scrutiny. There in verse 8, he says, Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. Isn't that good? You know, sound, healthy, biblical teaching will stand the test of time. If you look at the Bible, historically the Bible has been banned It has been burned, and guess what? It's still here. It's still here because it's got healthy teaching that that is faithful to the Bible, that models integrity, that treats others with dignity, and it passes the test of scrutiny. Now, what I want you to see here as we talk about practicing sound teaching today is I want you to realize that doctrine and duty go together. Um, Many times when you read letters in the New Testament, For example, let's take Ephesians for a moment. Ephesians is six short uh, chapters in the Bible. The first three are heavy on doctrine. He talks about things that are uh, true when it comes to salvation that God has given to His children. And so he lays out this, this rich appreciation of God's grace and so on and so forth. But then he shifts in the last three chapters and he focuses on living it out. And so that's duty. Doctrine and duty go together. 
I know a few years ago I had read a uh, story about a pastor that had uh, read through the Bible several times, and one of his aims of his ministry was just simply to preach through the Bible uh, and and share it with others. And so someone asked him, they said, uh, you know, what... What's the single greatest thing you've learned from reading through the Bible multiple times and teaching it to others? He thought for a moment, and he says, the single greatest thing I've learned from reading the Bible several times is this. He says, most people, when they talk about the Bible, too many people try to emphasize what you have got to do to, to, uh, to get God to respond to you. You turn on Christian television today and you can hear preachers that will try to implore you to do something in order to get God's grace and God's favor. He says, when I read the Scriptures, it's actually the opposite. The Bible emphasizes what God has said and what God has done. And now the question is, how will you respond to Him? Now think about that for a moment. I mean, many people today in our culture, if you start talking about godly things, Bible things, they might get caught up in what you've got to do to get God's grace or favor or attention uh, or to get God to respond to you in a certain way. But when you read the Bible, God has already spoken. We have it in, in record right here, what God has said to us through the years. And we know what He has done when He sent Jesus to die on that cross and He rose Him on the third day. And now the question is, how will you respond to Him? You see, godly teaching, let me define it for just a moment. Godly teaching ultimately produces two things. Okay, When you have godly, uh, biblical, healthy teaching, it produces two things. Number one, integrity with the Scriptures. In other words, godly teaching is always going to square with Scripture. It's never going to contradict it. It's always going to agree with it. It's always going to give you a visual with your eyes of what this says. Well, you, you read this and go, well, I wonder what that looks like in, in real everyday life. And then you see somebody model it for you uh, in real life. So godly teaching produces integrity with the Scriptures. But there's a second thing. Godly teaching uh, produces an influence uh, for the Savior, an influence for the Savior. Uh, look, if you will, there in uh, verse 10, he says that we are to, uh, by our lives, we are to adorn the teaching of God, our Savior, in everything. And we'll get to that in a mi- minute. But when you and I um, practice godly teaching, it's always going to be faithful to the Scriptures and it's always going to be an influence of, that points people to Christ, that points people to God. And that is the byproduct of healthy, godly, biblical teaching. So let's look at some practical things in Titus this morning for just a moment. In chapter 2, he deals with five different groups. And we're going to look at each group very quickly. The first group is the older men. Look, if you will, in Titus 2, verse 2. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, and sound in faith, love, and endurance. Now, he's going to hit all the generations here, all the age groups. He's going to hit both genders. Uh, So here he's talking about older men. And he says, 
older men are to be self-controlled. You know, when I read my Bible, I realize that that is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know, you, you really can't be in self-control until God's in control. You know, when we have things in our life other than God, we are ultimately out of control. But when we come to the Savior and when we uh, walk daily in the Holy Spirit, then we have self-control. And so he's telling the older men to be self-controlled, to be worthy of respect. They are to live their lives in such a way that people respect them because they've seen how they've lived for God for a long time. They are sensible. You know, sensible, someone, someone that's sensible has a good head on their shoulders. They make wise decisions. They have perspective. When, when something happens and most people lose their minds, they still have theirs because they're sensible. Uh, older men are to be sound in faith, love, and endurance. Remember that word sound. Another, another way to say it would be healthy. And so when you look at older men, when you look at their faith walk with Christ, when you look at their love walk, how well they love God and others, when you look at their endurance, how they always seem to get through things, no matter what happens, they, they find a, a way to get through it. Well, when you look at their walk with Christ, their faith is healthy, their love for God and people is healthy, and their endurance is healthy because they've learned to depend on God no matter what they are going through. That is God's Word to older men. Then he shifts to the next group, and that's older women. In verse 3, Titus says, In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women. And we'll stop there. So here, in the same way, of course, older women should be uh, self-controlled just like the older men and worthy respect and all those things. But then he brings out a, a few particulars that are unique to the women. Now, we don't really know a lot. We know that uh, Crete was an island. We know that Crete uh, was a rough place. We, we said in chapter 1 where Paul quoted one of their own prophets that said, Christians are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. They were uh, pagans that didn't know God. And they lived like that. And one commentary even suggested that the women in that day and time may have had problems with uh, gossip and drinking. And thus, that's why in verse 3, older women are to be reverent, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. And so he's warning them to avoid all that. Be reverent in your behavior. You know, reverent is a word you don't hear much anymore, do you? You know, reverent. When, when, when we are reverent, uh, when we are practicing an attitude of reverence, then we honor things that are sacred. We honor God. Uh, we, we honor other people because they're made in the image of God. And so we show honor uh, to whom honor is due. We don't slander. You know, slander is one of those descriptives for the devil. The devil slanders people. Don't be in that business. Don't slander people. And then don't be slaves to excessive drink, drinking. And then it says they are to teach what is good. And that covers, that's an umbrella term that covers a lot of things. When it comes to the older women, uh, show the younger women what it means to live the good life, okay? To love God, to love people, to, to um, take care of your family, 
uh, all of those things to model the good life so that they can encourage the young women. Now here is a great quote I found from Warren Wiersbe. Warren Wiersbe says, A church needs both the old and the young, and they should minister to one another. The grace of God enables us to bridge the generation gap in the church. And one way to do this is for all members, young and old, to live up to the standards that God has set for our lives. You know, when you look at uh, God's plan, you know, older men should be modeling and mentoring the younger men. And likewise, the older women should be modeling and mentoring things for the younger women. And uh, that, is, uh, that is something that has to be intentional. Now, before I um, go to the next group, the younger women, let me quote this proverb that uh, the Lord reminded me of. In Proverbs 14.1, here's a quick proverb for you. It says, Every wise woman builds her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. Okay, I'll read that one more time. Uh, Every wise woman builds her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. Uh, Ladies, seek God's wisdom and live that good life that God wants you to live. The younger women are mentioned here. The older women are to encourage the younger women, and here's what they are to encourage the young women to do. Look, if you will, in verse 4. The young women encourage them to love their husbands and their children. Let's deal with those together. Love your family. Now, I, you know... Just about everyone I, every woman I've met does that, okay? But he's saying here, you know, if you want to be intentional in how you live your life, love your husbands, love your children. Then he goes to the next thing, to be self-controlled and pure. Again, that word self-controlled came up earlier with the older men and implied for the older women. And now here it is for the Younger women, to be self-controlled, that is a fruit of the Spirit. To live a pure life, that is all about direction. I, I think the more I think about what is purity, purity is about a direction. When you are seeking to live a pure life, you are moving in a pure direction. You're not looking at where you draw the line. You're not looking at how close you can get to the line without crossing it. You're focusing on a direction, and you're trying to live a pure life that pleases God. And then he goes on to the next uh, set there. He says, workers at home and kind. Workers at home and kind. Of course, where would we be, guys, without the ladies in our life that take care of so many things? You know, I'm reminded of Proverbs 31, um, the, uh, the wonderful wife. And so... She is to work at home and be kind. And of course, you know, in today's culture, most families, both the husband and the wife are working. And so you have to be intentional about communicating who's doing what and everybody takes care of their part. But here he says, take care of things and be kind. And then the last thing, it's seven things here for the younger ladies. It says submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. Now, I'm going to smile when I say this. I will actually teach more on this this fall because I'm going to go through the book of 1 Peter. But after March Madness, I'm not talking about Peter, right? Just making sure. All right, everybody here? Okay, good. All right, sorry about that. Just got to make sure you're awake out there. But anyway, uh, let me say this. 
the man is called to be the head of the home, but headship is not dictatorship, okay? It is not dictatorship. And the Bible teaches that husbands are to love their wives and wives are to submit to their husbands. And I will smile and say this, it's not what you think. If you want to know what it means, I'll give you a hint, but I won't tell you the whole truth. You'll have to wait for it. But read 1 Peter 3 and particularly look at Abraham and Sarah. If you want to know what uh, what a, a godly marriage looks like, if you want to know what it means for uh, a wife to submit to her husband, read the account in Genesis about Abraham and Sarah. There's five situations. You can look at them and let the Holy Spirit show you. Otherwise, you'll have to wait till I get to that this fall. So I'll just go on from there. But that is God's Word for younger ladies. And then, of course, we have the young men. Look, if you will, in verse 6. In the same way, he's talking to Titus, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Some of you are thinking, well, that's not fair. You know, they only got one small statement. But look at what it says. It says for the young men to be self-controlled in what, in what, in what? Because I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't do this. In everything. Oh, man, everything? Everything, okay? So he's telling young men, you know, don't, don't get caught up in, you know, being stupid, doing something that you will later regret someday. Be self-controlled in everything. And that means everything. Again, that is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. When you and I, when we come to know the Lord and we yield to the Holy Spirit every day, then we have self-control. Why? Because He's in control. And that makes all the difference in the world. And then I'm reminded of that verse that, that Danny shared a while ago, 1 Timothy 4.12. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. It doesn't matter what age you are. You and I, all of us, should be role models for other people. They should look at our lives, and if we're followers of Christ, they should see Christ in us. And when they see Christ in us, that makes all the difference in the world. Now, there's one last group I want to mention before we close, and that's slaves. There in verse 9, it says, Slaves are to submit to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. Now, slavery was a reality in history. It was a reality in Bible times. And instead of attacking the concept of slavery, Scripture being healthy, sound teaching focused on what? It focused on being faithful to the Bible. It, it focused on modeling integrity. It focused on treating other people with dignity. And then it focused on passing scrutiny. And so it, it revolutionized people's hearts. It revolutionized their relationship with God and with people. And that, and that alone, when you look at the perspective of history, is why slavery is not what it was in history like it is today. But when you look at this from a contemporary application perspective, it kind of relates to our workplace, because back in the days of the Roman Empire, their economy was based on slavery. And when you look at, when you look at your job today, uh, during certain hours, 
you're kind of not your own. You're the property of the company, right? And you're supposed to be there and you're supposed to do what you're told and do what's expected because you've got a job to do. And so in that sense, I would say we could apply that to our world and say, in the job, make sure you submit to those who are in authority. Make sure that you're, you're doing what is right. Don't steal. Be utterly faithful. And by the way you live your life, by the way you approach your work, you make the gospel of Christ attractive. People look at you and they go, you work harder than everybody else. You do things with excellence. You don't argue with people. You don't criticize people. You do what you're told. You're dependable. You're reliable. I can always count on you. You've always got good ideas. You do a good job. What is it about you that makes you different? You know, if you go to the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, you remember Joseph, the son of Jacob, the one that had the beautiful coat of many colors. What happened to him? He was despised by his brothers. He was sold into slavery, okay? And he was in a foreign country. He was in Egypt. And yet, even as a slave, he was faithful. He was dependable. He was reliable. And the Bible says the Lord was with him. And guess what? his master took note. He noticed that whatever he gave Joseph to do, it was better than he expected because the Lord was with him. When you go to work tomorrow morning, just say, Lord, I want to take you with me and yield to him and do everything that you do as unto the Lord and not unto men. And if you'll practice that day by day, week by week, month by month, it won't take very long and people are going to go, man, you're a, great, you're a great worker. You do a great job. What is it about you that's different? And that's when you can tell them what is different. It's who you're serving. You're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Now all has been said, and I'm about to be done. I want to share one last verse with you. John 1, verse 17. John said this, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth, came through Jesus Christ. You know, when it comes to sound, healthy, godly teaching, the law came through Moses. God gave it to Moses, and the law tells us what to do and what not to do. But you know what? Even when Moses brought those Ten Commandments down from the mountain, the people had already uh, disobeyed them, hadn't they? He even was so frustrated, he literally broke the tablets that the Ten Commandments were on. Ultimately, God said, I'm doing away with the old covenant, and now I've got a new covenant, and now I'm going to write my law on your heart. And then the new covenant came through Jesus Christ. And now, unlike Moses who gave us the law, grace and truth come through Jesus. I don't know about you, but every one of us has broken God's law. And if we're ever going to live right and do right, we need grace and truth. Not just truth, but we need grace and truth. And Jesus Christ, in Him, is grace. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Through Him we have grace, and we also have truth. And so I want to encourage you today as we think about these things, about practicing godly teaching. I guess the most important teaching of all is what I said earlier about the older pastor that had read the Bible many times. Instead of you trying to do something to impress God, to get His favor, what you need to realize that is in the Scriptures, God has already spoken.
And in these last days, Hebrews 1.1, He has spoken through His Son. God has said everything that needs to be said. God has done everything that is necessary for you to be saved. But there's one caveat. He says, you got to come to me. you got to come to me. You've got to turn from your life of sin, and you've got to come and put your trust in me. Are you willing to come to me? And that's where we'll leave it this morning. When we look around the world today, so many people want to say, oh, there's different ways to God. You can do this, you can do that. I want to tell you, there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's only one mediator between God and man. His name is Jesus. There's only one name uh, under heaven whereby men can be saved. It's at the name of Jesus. And so today, today, I want to remind you one last time, God has spoken through His Word and through His Son, Jesus. And He's done everything necessary for you to be saved. He purchased He paid for your sin when He shed His blood on the tree at Calvary. He rose from the dead, proving that God accepts the offering of His Son to anyone who will come, simply come to Him. Today, maybe you need to come to Jesus. Instead of you trying to impress God, realize that He loves you. He sent His Son on the cross to die for you. And now He says, won't you come to me? Let's all stand. We're going to have a time of invitation. Let's pray. Father, I come before you right now. Thank you for this time in your word. And Father, I pray if there's someone here today that's never took that first step, Lord, of turning from their old life and coming to you, Lord Jesus, with faith and repentance, Lord, I pray that today would be that day. And Lord, for all believers today, Lord, may we hear what your word says. And Lord, may we walk in your spirit so that we can experience the self-control that comes from when you are in control of our lives. And may other people see you in us. And may it make the teaching of the Bible and the sharing of the gospel attractive. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.